either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. All right, well, heading into Valentine's weekend, if you're thinking rom-coms, you'll be rewarded. Got some of those to talk about, but that's not all. Definitely not all, and we'll uh, run them all down for this week's releases. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com. Let's start, not with a rom-com, let's start with a mystery. While on vacation on the Nile, Hercule Poirot must investigate a murder. Death on the Nile. You accused me of murder. He accuses everyone of murder. It is a problem, I admit. The murder was methodically planned. But who did this? You are mad. Can I not trust you? What do you want me to say? Someone else is dead. You lie in my face! Lock the doors! The murderer is here. And will stay here. Well, back in 2017, I guess it was kind of a surprise hit. Uh, Kenneth Branagh reinventing uh, Hercule Poirot after so many years. Um, and so that brings another one. So he's back to direct. He's back to star. And this time it is Death on the Nile. And pretty much the same, you know, the same formula. Star-studded group of characters uh, and a mystery and a formula that really has been around for now over 100 years. I think Poirot made his first appearance in a, in a Christie book. Over just over 100 years ago. But part of the charm of this movie and, and Branagh's approach to it is acknowledging that after so many years and parodies and, and copying the formula, it has some campiness to it. So you, you acknowledge that at the same time you salute it. Right, because when she did it 100 years ago, it was genius. Sure. I mean, to the degree that it has been copied extensively, almost, you know, universally. And that is the idea of of uncovering a mystery by going, you know, it could be you, and then <laughs> talking about why it isn't really you, but could be, and then it could be you. Right. And then you've, you've right. got all of the suspects trapped in the same room. Yeah, and um, then that, you know, over the years, that devolved into things like that TV show, uh, Burke's Law, where he would just line people up and go, you're guilty, and then there'd be a pause, of being innocent. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. There's there's a, a point where you acknowledge it, but at the same time, you, you say, hey, look, no, let's go back to the original brand of this. And it is genius the way she constructed all these yeah, things. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. And, you know, and it's fun to see an A-list group together playing these, you know, in these small roles in this, you know, ensemble that yeah. all, everybody's looking this way and that. And, <laughs> yeah. and how how is Hercule Poirot going to unravel it all? Exactly. And this time we're not on a train, we're on a boat. It is uh, wealthy heiress Lynette Ridgway, played by Gal Gadot, and she has just gotten married to her dashing new husband, uh, Simon, played by Army Hammer. Uh, Army, Who they would have recast Army if Hammer they had appearance. The yeah. <laughs> they were going to CGI in Christopher Plummer, but it <laughs> it just didn't work. So anyway, uh, they invite the happy couple invites these friends and family on board to help them sort of a like a pre honeymoon adventure cruise down the Nile. And then of course there's murder, <laughs> and it turns out that is a good thing that uh, the heiress invited. Hercule Poirot on board because it turns out she had been feeling a little threatened when there's she's very rich. And when there's money involved, you know, sometimes there are some jealousies you don't know about. There's some threats that she was feeling a little a little afraid. So she wanted him on board. Turned out to be a good thing because he's got a murder 
to investigate. And once it gets there, that's really when the fun starts. This one takes a while to get there. I thought it really it really dragged the first half of the movie or so before they, they get on the cruise and they get it going. And once they're on the cruise, another thing about it, I remember you especially in uh, Orient Express being so impressed by the cinematography. Yes. And it is the same cinematographer here. Uh, and also, the, I should say, the same uh, screenwriter as well, Michael Green. So everybody's back. It just outside the boat... It doesn't look as good when they're in these like Egyptian locales and things like that. When they're off the boat, it just kind of smacks of some some outdated CGI. Now, once they're on the boat, that's a different story. That's interesting because one of the reasons that uh, Murder on the Orient Express was so gorgeous was because it was shot in 65 millimeter. And I'm curious whether he did that again. Maybe I, he didn't. Yeah, honestly, I don't know. I wasn't able to find that. But I will give Branagh and the cinematographer, who's got a very hard, hard, hard pronounced name. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, props for not only does it look great when they're on the boat, but he does a great job in using the confines and using the architecture of the cruise ship to his advantage. Not only corners and things, but especially glass and plate glass and the refraction and the reflection, splitting people's image up into mm-hmm. different. I, I liked all that. Very nice. Very set, set the mood. And the pacing, again, once they get down to business, is good. Uh, and it's fun. Because you like to sleuth along with him, sure. right? You want to see if you can be just as smart. And also, I remembered since we just last week talked about, either last week or the week before, we talked about the movie Confession, where I, the main complaint was all it does is tell you things, right, right? right? Well, here you see when it gets down to the end and he's explaining to everyone how he came about finding out the killer and how he came to deduct, deduce, Really, what happened? He doesn't just tell you; he shows you in flashback. Yeah, and he sh- that's so important. Yes, because we want to see, mm-hmm. and sometimes you can show the flashback before you actually tell. And so, is this really what happened? So, it's constructed, uh, obviously, by a, a better filmmaker, and it's it's a better way to do these types of things because yes, there is going to be talking. He has a lot to explain, and how he notices everything that other people do not. But that it it's still fun. Uh, when you get down to uh, trying to, again, outsmart everybody else, and, and, of course, he does it better than anyone. And it's glamour and intrigue. Sure. That can go a long way toward excess baggage. And this movie does has have some. They've got an, an, a prologue at the beginning that sets up not only uh, Perot's abilities to notice things other people don't. It shows you back when he was a young man with some de-aging... Uh, it's always that upper lip, man. I'm telling you, something <laughs> about the upper lip uh, where he is able to save a bunch of people in, in his regiment in the war uh, through things that he notices. And then speaking of the upper lip, it also, I don't want to give away too much. It comes up with an inspiration for that mustache, which I'll just say from personal experience is dubious at best. And, <laughs> and let's leave it at that. And then there's an epilogue after that lets you know that this may not be the end of the Perot mysteries with Brownell, which could be fine. I mean, if this is another hit, great. Sure. It's not a it's not a fantastic movie, but it's fun, especially if you like these sort of mysteries. And it reminds you just how well, again, they were constructed and how how they do stand the test of time, even though over the years they've been it, it's become a, a well-worn path yeah. with the Agatha Christie formula. But uh, as they say, Agatha Christie, this this is Agatha Christie. I assume you have it in spades. Yes. And uh, <laughs> she does. Here's this, the thing, this though. This movie does have that feeling. My my worry about this movie is, um, you know, even even the uptick in, in uh, cinema attendance 
It's with very young people. Right. Older people, adults, are not, they're not comfortable going back to the that theater. Is, that is true. And Agatha Christie appeals to adults, yeah. certainly. So I would be surprised. That's true. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't have a great feeling about the box office for this That's one. That's a good point. And let's uh, give some shout out to it. It is a, an uh, ensemble cast, obviously. Uh, you've also got Annette Benning. We mentioned Army Hammer. Also, uh, Letitia Wright mm-hmm. is in it. And Emma Mackey, who I wasn't aware of, she's another. Like uh, Samara Weaving, sometimes a doppelganger for Margot Robbie. Well, you, you just go, um, is that Margot Robbie? No, it's not. And it all. It's de- just a really lucky person. <laughs> <laughs> it depends a lot of times on the hair color, but especially in some ways that she holds her face. I'm like, man, she looks a lot like Margot Robbie, but no, it's Emma Mackey. So there's a large ensemble cast, lots of star power led by Gal Gadot, who just fits the, the role of an heiress perfectly, as, as you would think so. Um, and it, it is fun. You like those mysteries? It's fun. If you're if you're not in the mood for rom-coms this Valentine's Day, here you go. Death on the Nile, and it is out in theaters now. But what if you are in the mood for rom-coms? Well, we got a couple for you. First up, music superstars Cat Valdez and Bastion are getting married before a global audience of fans. But when Cat learns seconds before her vows that Bastion has been unfaithful, she decides to marry Charlie, a stranger in the crowd, instead. This is Marry Me. What do I do? Just stand and smile. This is the most unbelievable thing that could ever happen in life. Right now, 237,000 people are like, he looks like he's a math club. I am in a math club. I don't know, hanging with you guys today, I don't know, it made me feel kind of normal. Come with me to the fall semi-formal. Are you asking me to the school dance? Well, I could leave a note in your locker. Are you afraid she'll fall back in love with Bastion and dump you? I'd be afraid of that, too. We don't need to pretend. I don't fit. Is this smart? I think we left smart six weeks ago. I wanted very much not to have to see this movie. <laughs> I, I will say it has nothing to do with rom-coms in general, but it was a it was a bad trailer. A terrible trailer. The trailer made it look absolutely ridiculous. Now, since then, I've, we have both found out that this is based on apparently a very popular um, graphic novel. Graphic novel. Okay, mm-hmm. great. And then I have to say, the more I thought about it, and actually the more I saw this movie, I remembered, even though we don't watch them, uh, and it's, maybe that's why it wasn't top of mind, but you see all these TV shows right now about married in five minutes or whatever, married <laughs> bl- blindfolded or wh- whatever. <laughs> what people will do to get on TV and get married, whether or not it's, I know reality TV is not real, but still, they have these premises out there where people are willing to do this stuff so maybe it's not as far-fetched but the point is this movie ended up being better than the trailer made us think it was going to be and we're all for that yes we are and so uh jennifer lopez essentially plays uh jennifer lopez i mean (laughs) which and i give her credit for this because she's she's she produces yeah uh, and uh, and it does in a way in a in a gentle way send up her image but at the same time She's not the butt of the joke, really. So it, I think it's also a way for her to humanize her image for people who don't realize that mm-hmm. they're real people who live inside these lives. Uh, but she is a, a gorgeous global super superstar phenomenon who's not maybe taken as seriously as she ought to be. Plus, she has a tendency to get engaged and married a lot. <laughs> what? I know, which all sounds exactly <laughs> like Jennifer Lopez. And so her her latest, The Love of Her Life, is another gorgeous international superstar. They have a new song. It's called Marry Me. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, at the appointed hour, they're going to get married in front of the whole world. Right. 
and also a packed crowd in New York City. And Owen Wilson's character has come along basically just to make his teenage daughter happy. And so, who is the girl, by the way, from uh, My Spy? Yes, which which is again much better than you think it would be. Yeah. Anyway, and so yeah, when when uh, J Lo decides at the last second she's not going to marry Bastian is his name, she just picks Owen Wilson out of the crowd. Here's what I liked about there are a couple things I liked about this movie. One is that there's more dry humor in it than you might expect, which a lot of that has to do with the supporting cast and sort of these you know last minute over the shoulder you know go nowhere dialogue Besides, lines yeah. that they just drop on their way out of a, of a screen, which were, which were generally Sarah Silverman fucking, is one yes, of them, yes. P- particularly Sarah Silverman. But also, not only that it, it does sort of give you a glimpse into a life like Jennifer Lopez's, but also a, a lot of the ways that it, it subverts sexist ideas yep. that are so deeply entrenched in rom-coms. Yep. Um, because, you know, if you take... Now, so the movie I hate more than any other movie that's ever been made is Pretty Woman. And one of the things, and, and people love that movie. People who like romantic comedies love that movie. But one of the things that I liked about this movie is that it is the female character who has all the money. And that at no point is she asked to feel bad that she has all that money or give up all that money. Or, you know, it's right. just a given. She just, and it's not even addressed. She's just, she's the one with all the power and all the money. And, and not only that, but if this couple is going to stay together and... Come on, we know that's where this movie is heading, right? It's just a matter of how they get there. If they're going to stay together, it's not just that she has to change. He has to change, too. Yes. When they talk about making a deal, what are you going to give up? Well, well what are you going right. to give up as well? So that that's nice. And, it, of course, it helps that not only was it directed by uh, a woman, Kat Coro, but also screenplay by a woman, Harper Dill. So that goes a long way toward doing just exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And the other thing I liked about it is that uh, the, you know, and I shouldn't say this because this is something that I I pick out in movies all the time that makes my flesh crawl. Jennifer Lopez is about a year older than I am. And the the man who plays Bastian is about a year older than our son. (laughs) And so that's, uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Big, big age difference. So I'm not saying hooray for that, but I am saying... It upends some pretty traditional uh, sexist tropes that you are likely to find in romantic comedies. Because That's you, all I'm saying. If you were going to say hooray for that, you could you could get by with it just on equal time alone. Sure. Because, yeah, you're right. It's done all the time. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even notice it. Yeah. I really didn't. I mean, obviously, Jennifer Lopez looks fantastic. And I didn't think that guy was that young. He's a, he's played by a Colombian superstar, I guess, Maluma is his name. I, I wasn't aware. But apparently he's a superstar. Um, and I didn't. He didn't look that young to me. Mm. But uh, but anyway, that's that's a really good point. And also, the music I'm sure has been pre-planned to be an album because oh, she does a lot of songs. She's a music superstar, and they don't sound like throwaway songs that are just no. one chorus was written just for the movie. No, they're real songs that I'm sure are going to be a soundtrack album and going to be pushed, which makes total sense. Yeah, I mean so, it's opportunistic, of course. It is, yeah. but whatever. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, whatever. It's, it's a romantic comedy. Yes. It's not, and it's it's, it's fine. It it's did. perfectly serviceable. It it's did. more charming than we thought it would be. And somehow, somehow, throughout this entire movie, Owen Wilson, not one time, despite all these surprising shenanigans, does he say, "Wow." No, and you know what? I think that his character would have. He would have. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So yeah, I mean, if you're in the mood for this type of movie, uh, you you can do a lot worse. Then uh, marry me, and this is on. Yeah, this is in theaters and on Peacock. Pe- Peacock. We keep 
thinking of these other these other streaming services. No, we're pretty sure we're right no, about it that. No, it is. It's okay. Peacock. It's Peacock, and in theaters, it's Marry Me. How about another rom-com? This one on Prime Video. Newly dumped 30-somethings. Peter and Emma team up to sabotage their ex's new relationships and win them back for good. I want you back. Oh, my God. And look at her with my boyfriend. This is bad. What the f***? He was the love of my life. Anne is the love of mine. But I'm not so sure that they're going to realize it, not with these shiny new people around. So what are we supposed to do? We have to break them up. That's crazy. We can't do that. You are somebody that a person could fall very deeply in love with. But it's more like slowly. Over five or six months. Okay. Or like a year. Two years top. Do you realize the number's going up? It's the breakup to make up plan. It always works. It's sound. It's a sound <laughs> game plan. <laughs> and this is, uh, actually this was written by Isaac Aptiker and Elizabeth Berger, who wrote the very, very uh, charming and smart Love, Simon. Mm-hmm. few years ago. Mm-hmm. And also they're behind the TV show This Is Us, which a lot of people love. Yeah. We've that, never we, seen. that we haven't seen. And this one, it's so weird. This one, 90% of it is smart and, and fresh and charming. And w- we say to people all the time that we have very, very similar tastes. We don't really disagree that often. But the first thing, when this movie was over, the first thing you said to me, I didn't like that ending. And I said right back to you, I hated it. Yeah. Both of us thought at the same time the ending just goes completely off the rails as as far as how it is thematically similar to the movie that we just thought we were watching. But uh, it it all starts with this this pair of strangers, really. They didn't know each other beforehand, played by Jenny Slate and Charlie Day. And they work in the same office building, but they don't know each other. And they meet each other in the stairwell because they're both crying because they just got dumped. Right. And they find out that they they can be sadness siblings. That's right. And uh, so they start hanging out as friends, and then they hatch this plan. You know, she is going to throw herself at uh, Charlie's ex-girlfriend's new man, and they, they just kind of acknowledge that Charlie's not hot enough to go after... <laughs> To go after the new girlfriend of uh, Jenny's ex-boyfriend, who's played by Scott Eastwood, who, for the first time ever, I think, I thought, okay, he's he's not posing, he's actually acting, Mm -hmm. which was nice. So anyway, instead of trying to throw himself at this uh, this woman uh, out of his league, he decides, no, he's going to become best friends with Scott Eastwood in that way, and then try to lead him back right. to uh, to Jenny Slate. So that's the whole breakup to make up plan. And of course, just like Marry Me, you know where this one is going as well. But that's fine. Again. Because they really do find very clever ways to get you there. They and do. because the different situations and the other characters that they bring in and sort of the the context because the idea really has to always be that the two characters have an arc to follow. Yeah, and you have to root for them. You do. You and have to want it. You have and and in both cases the arc is not necessarily that they get together; is that they get their lives together, mm-hmm. you know. And I and I liked that that the investment was not just in getting the two heroes to fall in love with each other; it yeah. was in getting the two heroes to just look at their own lives and see why it is that their relationships aren't working. <laughs> right. And this is just a reminder: if if you don't know or haven't noticed, Jenny Slate is a really underrated talent. She's really good at taking a character like this. And she can take the character through ridiculous hijinks 
And there are some in here. Yeah. And and then moments of humanity, like the nice relationship that she develops with a a, a young boy, a young school kid who's feeling sort of lost a little yeah. bit with his home life. And that and that's very nice. And you believe both of them. And she's really good at doing that. She's incredibly talented. She I mean, really she's is. so funny. Her comic timing is yeah. insane. But she you're right. I mean, she just she's a better actor than yeah. I think people give her credit for. I being. think so. And of course, Charlie Day, it, he's just bringing more of the Charlie Day persona. Yes. But it's funny. You know, that voice is always so funny. I'll have to say that if I have a bone to pick with the, both of those two have irritating voices. <laughs> they have unpleasant voices. And it's, a, it, you know, it's like when you watch too much SpongeBob and you're like, I just can't hear that voice for one more minute. I got to just, I got to go, I got to go listen All to right. Barry White. Neither one of them bother me as much, but okay, point taken. <laughs> but, but here we go though. The, the thing is, as, as this movie goes on, it does. It, it, I could believe that it was written by the same people that wrote Love, Simon, because it seemed like you take this age-old premise, this age-old genre, and they are finding smaller ways to say something fresh, to maybe give it a modern look, you know, a modern take on romance and dating and everything that's going on today. Uh, but then, my Lord, when it gets to that last five minutes, I was just, I was dumbstruck. I was hoping that it was a dream sequence. Yeah. I really was. Because not only does do they find the the easy, the easiest and laziest way to just wrap it up, but suddenly the set looks like it was from some cheap sitcom. Yeah. Well, what is this? Yeah. It looked uh, it looked bad. I, it was it was just bad. I do want to back up for one second though and thank them for the super weird foray into Little Shop of Horrors. That's right. That I was just like, wait a minute, what is happening right now? It was awesome, and and where they took it once they decided that this was where they were going. Right, Chef's that's how, so that, great. That's how Jenny Slate ends up meeting this young boy because um, the new boyfriend of Charlie's ex girlfriend is directing this this school seventh play. grade play yeah. seventh grade play of Little Shop of Horrors. And you're right, that's genius. It's it's great. So there is a lot to like. There here. is. I just it just seems like we had this nice relationship going, and then all of a sudden. You, the movie left us. The movie ghosts us. Yeah. And w- what happened? Yeah, we, we and have... we just got, you know, five minutes of some bad sitcom instead at the end. Oh, yeah. my God, it was so... so and not not like a Charlie Day sitcom, like a bad sitcom. It's it's just really interesting that it hit both of us the exact same oh, yeah. way. You know, it up, up to you. I think if you if you see this movie, you will enjoy it. Maybe the ending won't hit you as badly as it did us, but, boy, it really took a left turn there that just left us cold. Otherwise... We liked it. <laughs> and it is uh, it is on Prime right now called I Want You Back. All right, let's move away from the rom-coms and start busting some heads. Travis Block is a government operative coming to terms with his shadowy past. When he discovers a plot targeting U.S. citizens, Block finds himself in the crosshairs of an FBI director he once helped protect. Liam Neeson is back in Blacklight. You need to come clean, Gabe. You're confused about our relationship. You are my weapon. You work for me. Count me out. You show me a little gratitude if you want a normal life. My end is now. Where's my family? If I find out you had anything to do with my granddaughter disappearing, you're gonna need more men. Grandpa? Are you a good guy? I want to be.
Travis Block. Travis Block. Travis Block. <laughs> this is this is not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing about it, let's go over something I, I, I liked about it. Uh, Liam Neeson here, uh, and it's hard not to call him Liam Neeson's from uh, from Key and Peele. Uh, same way we say Bruce Willie, but. Um, He's 70, I believe he's at least 70 years old now. So on one hand, the movie accepts that and doesn't really ask him to do a lot of unrealistic things. Even when he's running, even when he's chasing after someone, he doesn't chase very long. And he pulls up and starts breathing heavy. Okay, all right. That's a little more age appropriate. And there's not a whole lot of hand-to-hand combat in this movie. Although, you know, the character is a longtime operative off the books. He's off the books. He's off the grid. Um, so he knows the hand-to-hand combat, but again, he's 70 years old, so they, they take it a little easy. So on one hand, that's good. On the other hand, I think the people that are coming to see this movie won't like that. Right, no. You, you, you want taken Liam. You want him kicking some major mm-hmm. butt. Mm-hmm. And it's really a lot of talking and some shootouts. And it's just, you can just cut and paste, plug and play from so many other movies where he's got of his of his and of many other people <laughs> about this sh- the this shadowy government uh, thing going on this time it's Operation Unity and the head of the FBI played by Aiden Quinn Aiden Quinn my Aiden, old yeah. crush Aiden Quinn I cannot tell you when I saw Desperately Seeking Susan how yeah. much I loved Aiden Quinn Well he's back and of course they've been friends for years but now are they really friends and maybe there's some things that uh, Travis Block doesn't know about the FBI you can just fill in the blanks by yourself and it's really boring and if, 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 it, if you're coming to this for, again, for the, you know, butt-kicking Liam Neesons, uh, you're not going to find it. You're just not. It's too much talking and just gunplay shootouts, and it's just it's just not there. Um, we keep hearing, in fact, the, the Schlocketeer was telling us that Liam Neeson upcoming project might be stepping into the Frank Drebin role in a remake of The Naked Gun. That would be funny. That would be interesting. Because he can be funny. He can. And you, don't, you know, he was funny in that, what was that, Seth Rogen movie? Seth? McFarlane A Million Ways to Die in the West. He was funny in that, and of course, in the Lego movie, as he's good cop, bad cop, brilliant. Well, apparently it's Seth MacFarlane doing the the new Naked Gun. Okay, that makes good sense. That could be very interesting, and a great way maybe to just put a bow on these types of roles. Yes. We can only hope. This one, no, just pass it on by. Uh, It is Blacklight, and I still don't understand what that title means. Oh. I really don't, except... Maybe when you use a black light, it can show some things in the dark that you don't see in the light, I suppose. Other than that, I don't know. They don't explain it. They but don't have any Pink Floyd posters hanging around. They don't, but they should. They and maybe should. everybody should just smoke some weed <laughs> uh, and, and play some Pink I Floyd. Bet, I bet you'd like the movie better. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, and that's in theaters, black light. All right, how about a horror thriller? Yes. As a young woman painstakingly prepares a romantic homecoming for her girlfriend, their apartment begins to feel more like a tomb when voices, shadows, and hallucinations reveal a truth she has been unwilling to face. This is called Alone With You. Are you scared? I'm scared, too. No one's going to save you, Charlene. You are alone, Charlene. Well, first of all, Barbara Crampton sighting. So there's a star. There's an extra star right there. That's right. And she is great. 
as is always the case. Barbara Crampton is just such a favorite of ours. And uh, this is clearly a lockdown film. And one of the things that I really appreciate about it is that it it, it doesn't just make the most of that. It really excels because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this character, she's waiting for her girlfriend to come home, and she gets trapped in her house. She she can't get out. Her door is stuck. She tries to uh, look outside, and she can't tell, is it still dark out, or is it just that there's some sort of a tarp hanging, and she can't get to it? The whole thing becomes so nightmarish and such a great analogy about how trapped in our houses we felt at the <laughs> yeah. beginning of, of lockdown. It's really, it's really, really good. And there's also, it's very creepy, and they introduce these sort of um, surreal elements that help you to get into the headspace with this woman. I really thought so much about it was impressive. This was written and directed uh, by Emily Bennett and Justin Brooks. They share writing and they share directing, and plus she's the star. She is the star. Bennett is a star, and she does a really good job. It's one of those films, there's never two people on screen at the same time. And she spends most of her time, you know, she 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 FaceTimes with her mom. She's, you know, or or with her friend on the phone. And um, and the thing is, usually that just doesn't play very well. Mm-hmm. And it really does here, actually. I mean, it really works out very well uh, because I think that all of the performers are do a good job at seeming like they are authentically having a conversation with someone else. Not that they're just delivering lines, you know. They do a really good job. There's also this crying woman in the next apartment over that she keeps hearing and trying to communicate with. There's a lot of creepy, creepy stuff happening. It's just that it it doesn't fill its time very well. There's a lot of filler. Um, and it, and that's too bad because it's not a very long no, film. No, it's only 83 minutes. And you feel as if it's probably 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they, they just felt like they had to get that little bit longer so they had a feature-length film. I just, it you know, it would have been such an exquisite 60-minute film. Mm-hmm. But I understand that it's very hard to sell a 60-minute sure. film. And so, sure. you know, there there is definitely, you feel the filler. But um, aside from that, it's just a crack film of of... It's it's such a great example of lockdown horror. Well, yeah, and we've talked about that before, not just horror, but we've talked about in all these movies uh, in the past couple of years uh, that have been lockdown productions. We've talked about how creative people find a way, and we've seen some great productions that are clearly have been influenced by the amount of people that they could employ, wh- the con- you know what sort of settings they could employ them in, and we've seen people really pivot whether or not they had these story ideas beforehand really turned them into to something great despite these odds. So always a tip of the hat to these creative people that find a way to work with it and work within these, uh, these added obstacles. And this is just, just another example. So, And you can find this one. This is called Alone With You, and you can find it on VOD. And, yeah, Barbara Crampton. <laughs> a crime thriller next. A former champion boxer embarks on the fight of her life when she goes in search of her missing sister. This is Catch the Fair One. Where is she? She's gone. I'm never going to see her again. Nobody's looking because nobody cares. Not a day goes by while I don't think about this little girl. You think I remember their name? This is about survival. Go! You gotta be ready. Get out of here, girls! Go! Tell myself she's dead. She keeps swimming on back to me. Remind me, she's still out there. Where's my sister? 
This was reviewed by Brandon Thomas at MadWolf.com. He loved it. Loved and it. This was a, what did you say the award was? Independent Spirit Award nominee. Very nice. And this is the co-writer and director is Joseph Kubota Vladaika. And I hope I pronounced that right. But, yeah, very, very well done. And, uh, yeah, I encourage you to read Brandon's review because he loved it. And it takes on a very tough subject. I mean, this is not a, this is not a comedy. This is a very tough subject about missing young people and, you know, the, the sex slave trade and things like that. But uh, it finds, w- with non-really professional actors involved, but they find a way to make it very gripping. In in one way, um, it it fixes what Wind River got wrong. A lot of people loved Wind River, and I wanted to because I'm a very big fan of the filmmaker. But it tells a story that is that is uh, the story of um, uh, of indigenous Americans, but it, it takes the point of view of white people. Mm-hmm. They they take two white people to tell the story of how how incredibly rampant it is for um, American Indians to women to disappear from reservations and and nothing nothing yeah. comes nothing of it. Nothing comes. Of Nobody it. finds them. They don't make uh, they don't make any FBI records. Right. Nothing happens. It's incredibly and it rampant. never goes viral like about you know all over the country when no. there's a blonde woman. Right. It's just rampant, like terrifyingly common for this to happen. And so one of the reasons I think that this film is as compelling as it is is because it's told from the point of view, well, of the people that it happens to. Sure. Yeah. So that's really great. She's a boxer and uh, she's very compelling and believable, but it also it's one of those things like a Liam Neeson. You know that when the time comes, when push comes to shove, she has some skills mm-hmm. that people aren't expecting. Right. Also, the villains. So one is Daniel Henshaw, who we love. Oh, yeah. He's so great. We loved him in the Babadook, but in particular, especially as a villain in Snowtown. And the Snowtown are so yeah. good. And playing his dad is legendary that guy Kevin Dunn who's yeah. in everything you he's know just his in- face he's the uh the the evil boss in uh unstoppable on the train okay yeah. so he's, he's been in a million things. oh my god yeah he's in all the Transformers movies I mean he's just and he just usually plays he never plays a villain not like this mm-hmm. and so it's just interesting casting yeah it's just a lot of interesting things happen in this movie it's it's riveting it's really probably the best thriller to come out so far this year yeah and again check out Brandon's review at madwolf.com and you can find it in theaters, catch the fair one. Well, how about another romance with romantic vampires? When Sarah, a real-life vampire, gets audited, the last thing she expects is a date. But an unlikely spark with IRS agent James forces two misfits to confront whether they have the courage to commit the radical act of falling in love. It's called Bite Me. You make me want everything I thought I was better than. Sarah! So you want to go out with me, but I have to be a secret? No, no. You just continue your audit case, suppose you just... And after the audit's over? Wait, you're not gonna bite me, are you? We don't bite. It's not sanitary. That's right. This is a weird one. It's very charming and sweet and a little bit unsettling because these three. You know, lovely, likable, misfit girls drink blood. <laughs> and it's harmless enough, yeah. but it's unseemly as well. Yeah. And that's really the, the sort of the ground this movie treads. Kat McAlpine reviewed it for us. Uh, she thought there was so much about it that was really charming and, and worthwhile. It is another version of those movies. It's a rom-com and you know where it's going, but it upends expectations left and right. Yeah, and Kat liked it especially because it encourages you to embrace your inner weird. Yep. And in, in this case, yeah, they, they, these women... Have some weird, um, 
weird things. They like drinking blood. And then, of course, they wear the capes and they have fangs, yeah. which get in the way of some of the things they eat. Yes. <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> interesting. And then James, this IRS agent, comes into their life. So, yeah, another take. This is not Twilight. No. But it sort of has fun. But they are Team Twilight. Yeah, Team Twilight. I was going to say, <laughs> they have some winking fun with that whole, you know, romantic vampire Twilight uh, kind of thing. And uh, you might get a kick out of this. Another look at a, at a rom-com with vampires. It's on VOD uh, right now called Bite Me. A comedy next, McKee is encouraged by her husband and daughter to take up cooking after she loses her job. Instead, she signs up for a drama class where she falls in love with her Romeo. This is called a grand romantic gesture. You and you. You are my new Romeo and Juliet. No, 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 no. we don't kiss at the first rehearsal. No making out at this stage. Ah! So happy sometimes. And that's what love does, right? It tricks you into thinking you're happy. Mommy's cheating on me. I think they're falling in love. Who? Your wife and my husband. You made leaving your wife sound just wonderful, but it's not. I don't think I've ever seen Romeo and Juliet. It doesn't end well. So if you're looking for a rom-com focused on the middle-aged set, <laughs> we just got him everywhere you look this weekend. Yeah, and if that, the synopsis says Romeo, the title is A Grand Romantic Gesture. If you're thinking Romeo and Juliet, you're absolutely right. Yes, Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us, and it is. That is the play that she is putting on, and she she's Juliet, and she falls for Romeo. Mm-hmm. And so it is, you know, it's one of those films that tweaks Shakespeare to to tell its own story. And in a lot of ways, it's very sweet and clever and charming because of that. And in, and in other ways, it just doesn't work. Uh, because for one thing, as somebody pointed out recently in something that we saw, the play that our nieces did, Romeo and Juliet, the characters are idiots. They're morons. <laughs> but they're so full of youthful lust that they do stupid <laughs> things, right? Adults are less likely to do that. And so a lot of times what should come off as passion that blinds you just comes off as kind of silly and weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it just doesn't always land. There's some really solid performances in this movie, and it has a lot of charm to spare, but it also falls flat almost as often as it does not. And again, you can check out Rachel Willis's review at madwolf.com. It's on VOD right now. It's called A Grand Romantic Gesture. Another rom-com next. This one follows four brothers and their shenanigans. Love that word. The shenanigans of the fabulous Filipino brothers. Do you think you have control over love? When it happens, who it happens to? Duke. How long has it been? I looked for you over the years. Say yes. Yes changes everything. It opens up possibilities that you wouldn't believe. This feels so right. The most right I've ever felt. Come on, man. Do something. Howl at the moon if you have to. David, you gonna bring someone? You better not be bringing any hoes. <laughs> Guess not. Dante Brasco. Writer-director Dante Brasco no, is... No, Basco, because you wanted to say... I did want to say Dante Donnie Brasco. <laughs> Writer-director Dante Basco... There you go. ...has three brothers. The four of them are Filipino. So here you go. They're write in a band. What, write what you know. Exactly. So it is essentially what he's done. So he has brought his brothers to play versions of themselves. Why not? And the four of them are trying to get ready for a wedding. And the movie is told in a lot of vignettes where each of the brothers has their own sort of short story. Some of them work really well. Some of them do not work very well and go on for too long. They're charming 
an incredibly likable and that sort of lived-in familial way that actor actors couldn't do, you know? And they, they don't really feel like amateur actors. I mean, the performances are very solid. And it's sometimes really funny and also, I think, very insightful in terms of uh, you know, a first-generation experience. Mm-hmm. And you can check that out on VOD right now. And you can check out the full review by Tori Haynes uh, on MadWolf.com. All right, that's the batch this week. Uh, before we head to the lobby, just overall quick thoughts about the Oscar nominations, which, of course, came out this week. I think both of us feel that overall pretty good, but we do have areas where we raise some eyebrows. Yeah, Ruth Nega. Oh, I really, really thought that she was going to for get passing. nominated. Well, and passing, passing in general, totally yeah, ignored. Completely ignored. I agree with you there. And then we both really, Mike Feist. Uh, in West Side Story. Yeah. Yes, he's a Columbus, Ohio native, so we were pulling for him there. But he was great. He was so I, great. I really was surprised at that. Well, think, really was. And I think everybody was surprised by Katrina Balfi for uh, yes, Belfast. That, she, that got, she didn't get it and that Judy Dench actress, did. Yeah. That is very surprising. Yeah, that is the very surprising. So those are our biggest. Also, in the best original song category, two things pop up. A lot of people were thinking, there is the song from Encanto, but people were thinking, why not Bruno? Yeah. Well, because it's so popular right now. Apparently, from what I heard Lin-Manuel Miranda said, that they submitted the other song long before they knew Bruno was going to take off like this, and they thought the other song encapsulated the entire movie better. So that's why they... Could we have a a write-in vote? We could. (laughs) We could have a write-in vote, and I'm going to write in Just Look Up from Don't Look Up. Oh, how I wanted that song. No, As no. we were leaving the theater, you said that. You're like, oh, I hope that gets an Oscar nomination so I can hear them sing it online. Not only because how cool and funny it would be to hear someone, Ariana Grande probably, sing that live. But also, I think it's a, it's a, also a decent song. Oh, yeah. These pop duets go. Yes, I And agree. the lyrics are just fantastic. So, uh, overall, I think those are our biggest, our biggest nitpicks. I mean, I personally do like the fact that they just decided, look, we're just going to have ten movies. Quit messing around. But you know they did it so they could get Spider-Man in there, and they didn't get and Spider-Man still in didn't, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, certainly all the move, all the ten w- wouldn't have been our ten. No. But, um, okay. Yeah, we'd I'm, have had Macbeth in there. We'd have had, I, there's another one, yeah, Macbeth. Could not believe. That is one of our top, top, top movies of the yeah. year. Could not believe it didn't uh, get in the top ten. And I think, really, maybe the the toughest category this year is cinematography. I totally agree with you. Just look at who didn't yeah. get nominated. Just so many fantastic-looking films. I I can't—it's going to be tough to pick a— to pick a winner there. But uh, it is nice to see, even though uh, we wouldn't have had it in our top ten, we did like Coda very much. It's such a crowd pleaser. People love that movie. It's nice to see that mm-hmm. uh, get a, a nomination. Uh, so so overall, yeah, a decent job. But, boy, there are just areas where we thought, oh, wow. Um, so, But you can check out. We've got a full write-up on that, our thoughts about the Oscar nominations at MadWolf.com. Okay, that's our knowledge. Let's get some fresh stuff with the Schlocketeer in the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back into the lobby, some new updates from Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer. What's happening this week? Well, Netflix will premiere Tyler Perry's A Medea Homecoming on February 25th. I know it's been a while since he put one of those out. Uh, Also on February 25th, uh, we'll see the release of Hulu's thriller No Exit. And then Universal has pushed back the release of their comedy Easter Sunday by a few days to April 5th. So I think they went from Friday one week to Wednesday of the next week. 
and Universal will release Blumhouse's new adaptation of Stephen King's Firestarter on May 13th, and that's pulling a Halloween Kills and going day and date in theaters and on Peacock. Oh, yeah, so a lot of people sharing that uh, trailer this week. Yeah, got Zac Efron and Michael Gray Eyes in it, and John Carpenter has done the score. Nice. So, yeah. Fingers crossed on that one. Mm-hmm. I like the book, but I wasn't the biggest fan of the original movie. No. So. And then... On the classier end of horror, A24 is putting out the new film from Alex Garland titled Men on May 20th. That one looks pretty yeah, great. a lot of people sharing that, that <laughs> yeah, trailer, so too. Yeah, so excited about very that. Very interesting with new Oscar nominee Jesse Buckley. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And then on July 29th, we get another horror movie from Blumhouse and Universal um, called Vengeance. That one was written and directed by actor B.J. Novak, and he stars alongside Issa Rae, Ashton Kutcher, Boyd Holbrook and Dove Cameron in that one. Um, Apple is unleashing one of their first animated movies called Luck on Apple TV Plus come August 5th. And then Lionsgate has postponed the release of the demonic possession horror flick, The Devil's Light. It was going to come out on February 25th, but they've pushed it all the way back to October 28th. Ah, yeah, I just saw the, the poster in the theater here the last couple of days for the first time. I had not heard of it before, so now it's going to... I guess the poster will be staying there for a while. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. I've seen the trailer a couple of times. It was directed by Daniel Stamm, who did The Last Exorcism. It looks solid, but it looks like they've uh, kind of postponed it for two big reasons. One, it was set to open a week before The Batman, and I think they're just kind of mm-hmm. wanting to move out of the way so they don't get clobbered like Spider-Man did, did to everything back right. in December. <laughs> And then the second is uh, the October slate right now is fairly empty when it comes to horror movies. Um, I'm sure that'll change as we get closer to oh, that yeah. month. But uh, for now, the Devil's Light's only competition in October is Halloween Ends. So it's just the two of them at the moment. All right. And then Apple has another animated movie called Spellbound hitting on November 11th. And then another happy announcement is that Guillermo del Toro's stop-motion animated adaptation of Pinocchio that he co-directed with Mark Gustafson will hit Netflix in December. So we get another Guillermo del Toro movie this year. Yay! Not a bad thing. And that's about all I've got for you. Okay, good enough. We can always uh, get caught up on the latest. With Daniel, you can follow him on socials at The Schlocketeer. Thanks as always. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, not chock full, but some big, big movies. We've seen every, I think every time I turn on the TV, the trailer for Uncharted is staring me in the face. So we'll have that next week. Also, Dog, which is also a trailer we keep seeing. <laughs> a Banquet. We've seen that already. Actually, that was pushed back. It was supposed to be this week, right? Yes, it, it was, was pushed back. To. So A Banquet is next week. Help. And then a little thing called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Some of us are pretty geeks. I mean, I'm trying <laughs> I'm pretty to pretty geek too. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to keep my uh you know, I don't want to I, I don't yeah. want it to get away with get away with me because then I won't like it as well as I actually, so I need yeah. to try to keep low expectations, yeah. but I'm very excited. Deep breaths. <gasps> Deep breaths. Stay calm. So we will see about that next week. Uh, but this week, what do you think about the rom-coms or the mysteries or uh, or anything else? We always are game to talk about it, keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter, at MadWolf, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's MadWolfColumbus, and the main website where you can find all of our reviews and our horror movie-only podcast. Brand new episode this week, by the way, called Fright Club. That's all there for you at madwolf.com. So keep in touch. We will talk again soon. Until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. 
Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>